Well, holy shit, I actually managed to do it. After procrastinating for ages, I finally managed to produce an audiobook version of the Lunatic Fringe book. It's currently available on all Amazon sites, audible.com, and shortly on iTunes. And if you're the page-turning type, it's also, of course, still available in Kindle form, paperback, and uh, hardback on Amazon. Ten hours and ten years worth of Blue Skies Magazine's articles, all available to you right fucking now, including a few author's notes and even an apology or two. Enjoy. In a world... Mate, hold up. We said we're done with the serious intros. Who's it? Well, we did. I don't remember that. Well, I said it, and you're me, so, you know. Well, I don't care. In a world... Uh, hey, I told you. We're keeping it light. You do it on your own, then. Well, technically, I already am, so... Anyway, fuck yeah, pure wild flight. Get it down, ya. How good? Visit nzaerosports.com. I get to do the next one. Well, obviously, you moron, we both do. Of course. I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model, or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot, the Crossfire 3 when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch, the JFX 2 if you're looking to up your new swoop game, the Leia as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast, or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So, the equipment is top-of-the-line kick-ass stuff, as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com, and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. 
The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void and look at another face that I've seen in magazines and once in a while in person for many, many years now. So please tell me, who the fuck are you and what do you do? <laughs> Good morning. I'm, my name is Shannon Pilcher. I am a, I mean, I'm a career skydiver, to be honest with you. And, and it's, so I've, I've retired for the last three years, but it's still a big part of my life. And, I, and I'm sure we'll get into that. I, I currently coach leaders and their leadership teams. Wow. So I've, I've jumped I've jumped tracks, but I'm doing a lot of the same stuff in a different context. I was going to say, my very first thought when you say that is that that very much lines up with the lifestyle of a professional skydiver and someone that spent his years teaching people, especially in, in high stress and, and very um, difficult situations. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, it's funny to hear you say that, uh, teaching people is exactly not coaching and right. so and this is this i'm saying to you what i'm now what's in my face as i've become a, a a trained educated leadership coach is you know there's a there's an organization called the international coaching federation the icf and they are large i mean they are undisputably the governing body of, of executive coaching around the world and and one of the things you quickly learn is that uh, giving advice and teaching and mentoring all of these realms are not part of coaching. Okay. Coaching, is, okay. coaching is specifically about listening, about prodding, about provoking, challenging, and helping people move forward and think forward, but, but trusting that they have the answers inside. You know, they know themselves better than we ever could, right? So, sure. Yeah, so it's funny. I've been a coach in skydiving for 30 years, and I think back about my behavior and my ways of working, and, and it's been – I've been a mentor. I've been a teacher. I've been a guide, and, and, of course, I've learned how to coach along the way. But um, all the people I know, friends, including me, who we call ourselves coaches – we're like, we're passing on our expertise and that is technically not coaching. All right. Yeah, I mean, so. no, I, I completely get what you're saying for sure. Yeah. And, and yeah. It, it, I suppose that it, that definitely is kind of part of the, the mentality that we have, especially in something along the lines of skydiving coaching ratings are happen so early now in the sport. And, and that is kind of what you're taught is that this is what you're supposed to do as a coach. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You know, it's it's funny. Uh, I, I've been able to over the years talk to uh, so many uh, skydivers that that, for lack of a better word, I looked up to and admired the things that they were doing over the years. And it's always so um, strange and cool to realize that the people that I looked up to or had hero worship 
are like my age. They're these are people that you know, it's it's not the previous generation that I'm looking up to. I mean, you and I are of of similar age, but the yeah. stuff that you and especially you and your teammates were able to do over the years were the things that people like me really did look up to. Um, so I want to get into how you got started in skydiving and how you kind of ended up with such a um rarefied air in the sport. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I hear you, man. I, I it's funny. I I'll, I will answer your question, but it, it triggers my my thoughts, and I and hope you're enjoying that wine. I, it's it's <laughs> nine a.m. here. I, I could use a glass of wine <laughs> or another cup of coffee, right? <laughs> um, no, the uh, it's just what you said. Like I, it's dawned on me constantly because is that with all the accolades and awards and accomplishments, and this isn't a, a feigned humility when I say this, but you know, you, you're on, when you're in your own space and you're just kind of reflecting, you're thinking about things. I can't think of anything that I've ever done on my own. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I'm, and, and then largely when I think about all these different things that we have accomplished, the various teams and that I've been a part of, I can often, I'm like, man, I don't really know if I contributed very much to that, to that <laughs> accomplishment. You know what I mean? So, sure. so I'm really not trying to sound humble. Like I, I know that I'm, I'm good at what I do and I know that I contribute, but maybe, maybe one of the beauties of being on effective teams is that, and you're all pulling your weight and you're all helping each other and supporting each other and all these things is that when the dust settles, you can each feel like you didn't really do a whole lot. You know, you're, sure. you're all pulling together to make something happen. So, but um, I mean, that's, that's kind of the definition of a good team though, right? Yeah, I mean, a, a team shouldn't, it shouldn't have a superstar and a bunch of followers. It should be everybody right. doing their bit. Yeah. So probably that's, you know, the way it started for me, um, Dean is the, the, do you go by Dean? What's that? Yeah. Dean. Do, Dean yeah. I don't know if, do people use your first name to call you by Dean? Is that a common way to be? Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you had a nickname that I was unaware of. Oh, well, they call me Princess, so um, I prefer I Dean. Saw I saw that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll come back to that. I'd like to hear about it. Um, yeah. The, I mean, when I got started, I was we were in Georgia Tech. Ian Bobo and I were in Georgia Tech, and uh, I don't want to drag everybody through the history, but but we were college students who landed. They had a skydiving club at Georgia Tech, and and we didn't know what we didn't know, man. We just tried it out and we loved it. And before you, I mean, within, I mean, at 26 jumps, Ian had been jumping for a couple of years and at 26 jumps, him and two others needed a fourth to start a four-way FS team. And, and that was part of the pressure they were putting on me is, hey, come jump. And little did I know they wanted to plug the slot, you know. So literally on my 26th jump with Tevas and a belly mount, pilot shoot and a, you know, a big analog altimeter in my face, frat hat, goggles, all that. We was my first four-way team training jump with 26 jumps. And, <laughs> and I, I mean, I just don't know that, that, that I think that rarely happens for people. And we began through college. It was just, it was an obsession. And we had Jack, Jeff, you know, we had airspeed posters on our walls or it was a different team name at the time. And and we had heroes and we wanted to win the world championships of four-way. We had sponsorship proposals for Coca-Cola and, and IBM and all these companies. It was just ridiculous, right? It was out to the moon. Um, and that, that just began it all. And I, to this day, some of those teammates are still my teammates. Ian Bobo is my 
teammate and business partner through everything for 32 years you know so i i mean it's it, it was a different time in skydiving for sure right because i mean and correct me if i'm wrong but opportunities seem to come so much faster and earlier 25 or 30 years ago i mean i started 28 years ago and was shooting tandem videos before i had 100 skydives that doesn't happen now it doesn't even come close yeah it was we've we've almost become more of a uh yeah just just as a collective as an entire sport and a community we've we've evolved very quickly right is what you're alluding to so sure so the quality control and the procedures and all the the equipment look at the equipment right like equipment now is just so reliable and so it's, yeah, so functional and reliable that, that I mean, I, I didn't have a malfunction until I had like 6,300 jumps. Oh, my God. I mean, I, my fear was, can I handle a malfunction? Like, if, you know, can I really do it if it happens? That sure. was my kind of an anxiety, uh, an undercurrent of an anxiety that I had at all times, you know? Oh, sure. Well, one of the stories that I have told many times is I had my first cutaway at 27 jumps. And, and of course, that's pretty intense at at, uh, at that such a low jump number. But uh, a much more experienced Scott ever came up to me. And I want to say he had three or 4,000 jumps at the time. Uh, and he smiled and patted me on the back. And he said, at 27 jumps, you know more about this sport than I do because you know you can pull the handles. And yeah. that stuck with me. You know, and I'd imagine nowadays that goes a long way because there's a whole bunch of jumpers that can go for huge periods of time without ever having to think about it. Totally, totally. And they may not even think about what I was describing. For many, they might even be an awareness that, oh, shit, I don't know if I'll handle this properly. Like, Because it's just all working so well, it's easy to go like to just think it's always going to work, you know? Sure. Sure. Well, now obviously yeah. that, uh, that cutaway at 6,300, uh, went well, cause you're sitting here talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> was it, yeah. uh, when it, when it finally happened, was it just a, Oh shit, here we go. Yeah. I think it was a slow speed malfunction. So it was even easier, right? It was like, it was like, got open good. I'm flying, but I, there's a line broke and it's, so I had time to think about it, fly to where I wanted to go to decide how high I wanted to cut away. I mean, that's not a high, a high speed malfunction is a much different scenario. So I still had to wait longer. I don't recall how long before I actually had something that, that, you know, stoked the heart rate and, and made me think fast. Sure. Sure. Now, now stepping back to you getting into competition so early on, but you were talking about uh, proper huge sponsorship being potentially thrown your guys way at a time when skydiving was still considered a uh, high risk you know, crazy sport. How did stuff like that come about? Yeah, you. I mean, hey, I'm I'm writing a book, by the way. So, so no, I mean, like a lot of these things. It's funny they're fresh on my mind because they've been laid into the pages. Awesome. But, yeah, it helps me very very quickly speak about it. But we, I think we kind of prided ourselves. I know we did. We we came to the land in in '96. Two of us, Kyle and myself, Ian and Dave. The other two followed a year later. And Deland being the, the mecca that it was at the time, the, the manufacturing hub, the industry hub, and still to a large extent, you know, had a beautiful drop zone here. And we came and got jobs in the industry. Kyle at, at Relative Workshop, which is now UPT, I went to Skydiving Magazine, the newspaper magazine sure. for a few decades. And we were really, uh, we started seeking sponsorship and we quickly found that there was no formality to sponsorship. It was it was doing favors for friends is what it kind of the 
the headline of what sponsorship was, you know, and we, of course, we're, we're going to, we're going to chase that and try to get the favors pointed our way. But we also, I think we take a little pride in helping to shift the paradigm towards the manufacturers starting to be a hold athletes a little more accountable, starting to have contracts and, and, and agreements between the athletes and things like that. And nowadays, I don't know how familiar you are with the sponsorship programs at, at some of these manufacturers, but now it's a, they're full on programs with different tiers for different level of athletes. It's really as it should be, you know, because, sure. you know, a lot of manufacturers will give discounts to certain athletes while they'll, while they'll not only fully support, but they'll provide subsidy for other athletes. So there's a, there's a full range in place now that we didn't have. Sure. Well, I yeah. mean, it kind of had to go that way though, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. They, at, at, at a certain point, you've got to take care of the the people that are producing. And I remember one of the big things that uh, now UPT would do would be to sponsor people that weren't necessarily athletes, but they were great advocates for their equipment. And they were out on the drop zone all the time, uh, whether it be coaches or, or instructors that loved the gear and, and uh, would help to further the brand, which I thought was a great idea as well. But those aren't athletes, you know, you, you also have to get the guys that are standing on the podium time after time. And, and right. let's face it, it's a, it's a risky sport, especially when it comes to what you ended up getting into. Okay. Yeah, man. Take I mean, yeah. Yeah. you're talking the highest risk in the sport that, that deserves some, some proper recognition, both in equipment and, and financially. Yeah. yeah. And we were lucky. We, so Ian and I, um, there's a company, I don't, you might, you've probably heard of them called Flight Concepts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're based in Atlanta. Red Payne is the owner. He's still, he's still, I think, knocking away at it, at, at the work, you know. And uh, Chris Gay was part of Flight Concepts at the time. Chris Gay also went to Georgia Tech, where Ian and Kyle and I went. So in college, here we are, we start skydiving. We don't know what we're doing. We, we're, we're really tuned into this four way stuff. Flight Concept sponsored us right out of the gates. So mm -hmm. I've never, I've never had to buy gear since st I started. Like, I mean, it's, I know it's quite laughable and I, it's in some ways I'm almost embarrassed. It's like, really, <laughs> you had it that easy, you know, I bought a rig, I bought a javelin was my, my first and only purchase. And then soon after SunPath supported us. But, um, when we, well, what were we talking about? Oh, the, just the athletes that, I forgot what I forgot what, was, what you mentioned. The athletes and sponsorship, and basically just how you you worked your way into it, and then you got picked up by Flight Concepts very early on. Yeah, so it just it it just segued perfectly. When we all moved to the land and went to work, Ian Bobo went to work at PD as a as an industrial engineer, you know, helping with them with their logistics and stuff, and that naturally brought us over from Flight Concepts to PD. So we. We just transitioned almost seamlessly, almost without having to ask for it because they were they were there to support. And then we it's really cool. I'd like to share this publicly. But we we set up at the time. Remember, as you're describing, their sponsorship was new and it was just un, uncharted waters. And we set up what we called the, the power triangle in the land. So I worked at Scottie Magazine, Mike Trupper. He was he's an amazing influencer and, and amazing thinker. He helped us set up a sponsorship uh, relationship between Scott Deland, UPT, PD, and Deland. And they all traded services on our behalf. Mm. 
So they like, you know, I mean, yeah, they gave us rigs, canopies, jumps, all for free, but then they gave each other advertisements and, and gear and like they provided the land with tandem rigs, all this stuff. And it was just this beautiful symbiosis that sure allowed us as a very young team to start start training hard. And that's that's why we quickly um, started doing well. Well, that's one of the coolest things about the community in general, though, right? Is I mean, it's still a very small community. It's dramatically bigger than it used to be. And there's companies popping up all the time and new wing designers and new container designers and all that. But it's still a small community. And a lot can be done without money being exchanged to further the careers of other people. Yes. Um, it's funny because uh, you're a PD guy. Um, I'm. This podcast is sponsored by NZ Aerosports. There's no animosity between the two companies, though. It's just a great rivalry. And that's one of the coolest things, too, is I actually had somebody ask me, well, do, are you concerned about bringing a PD athlete on? Why? Are you kidding they love each other. It's fantastic. If if it weren't for that competition, then you know, I mean, there's there's no PR for anybody. <laughs> yeah, totally. We're all. It's all a big. I mean, this is the wrong wrong word because it, it has bad connotations. But I, connotations. But I think we've all used it. We're like a big uh, incest pool. You know, like I, I mean, the whole whole community. <laughs> we're all so. It's all so small. Like, I mean, CPS is SunPath, UPT, and PD. You know, and they're. They're in the same family and they're they're total competitors in the in the mainstream sport. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, in in uh, in all aspects, I mean, it's one degree of separation in skydiving. If I don't know yeah. you, I know a dozen people that do. Um, yeah. That's yeah. the primary reason why this podcast is done as well as it does, because if I don't know you and I want to approach you for the show, I can list a dozen people that do know you that will give you the elbow and go, hey, I talk to this guy. Yeah, um, it's funny you say that because because I hadn't listened to your show and and uh, I had Craig and Eliana were here a few weeks ago. They stayed with us for a whole week and and I and I and and knowing that you and I had been trying to get a show lined up, I had looked through some of your guests and I saw Craig and I saw Jay. So and Craig was here, so I asked him about it. You know, he said that he gave me all kind of good good nice. good <laughs> juju, good vibes about doing it. So nice. Craig and you see him, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I use Craig's show as a bragging point to so many people because it was relatively new in the podcast. I want to say his, fir his his episode was maybe the fifth or sixth guest that I had. And this is when my studio was in my spare toilet in my apartment in Dubai. And I brag that I got the Craig Gerard to sit in a toilet and drink and talk yeah. skydiving with me for hours. Awesome. Yeah, it was amazing. You know, and yeah, it's yeah. only a sport like that. I got Reagan, Tetlow, and all these amazing people to come sit in the toilet with me and talk about Scott. Awesome. <laughs> nice. So you 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 find a, a relatively easy line into the sport, but when you were in Georgia Tech, what were you studying? Like what were you gonna be? Because this was not part of the plan. I... Yeah, no, I was in, I mean, it's an engineering college and I and I I had always wanted to be an architect, so I I enrolled to be an architect. I did it for a year, but during that year, I, I discovered I was more attracted to the, the construction, like the field work, the actual engineering of these giant buildings and all the logistics that go into it. So I, I went to work during school for a couple of years and then out of school, the same company for a, a few years. So I, I worked for three or four years as, a, as an up and coming general contractor. I was a, a project engineer on, on a job site and and man, I, you know, like that company now, they were really small. They're literally, it was three partners and me and some superintendents. And I was, 
I, like that company is massive now. They're called New South Construction Company. They're based in Atlanta, but I would be sitting pretty if I had stayed with them, you know, from a, from a financial perspective and sure. everything else. But um, I, I look, I'm more grateful for the experience. I don't look at it in any way as a, as a, not like, I, I believe very much in regrets, by the way. I, I think regrets are something we like to pretend we don't have. But if you look up the definition of regret, it's like things you wish you had done differently. Sure. You know, sure. or things you might could have done differently. And I mean, I, I have regrets constantly. Like, well, I could have done this differently. I could have done that differently. Sure. It doesn't, sure. doesn't mean the connotation of like you're just wallowing in despair because right. of it. it that's, that's, that's what it seems like, right? I know I have no regrets. I don't think that's the case. But I have a lot of gratitude for that experience. It, it, it really opened a lot of doors for me and gave me a lot of um, skills sure. that sure. I now use. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I tell you what, I completely line up with you on the whole uh, uh, regrets are a real thing. And anyone that gives you the whole no regrets thing is a bit deluded. Um, yeah, I so. I'm 20, almost 29 years in the sport. And every morning I try and get out of bed, there's a couple of regrets that I got to stretch <laughs> out. <laughs> you know, so there are absolutely are regrets, but that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, they're bad things. They're learning experiences, but yeah. I wouldn't, the majority of my life, I wouldn't change for anything. And if yeah. money is your driving factor, then skydiving is not your sport. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so that's all I was painting is if I had stayed with them, you know, my, it would have been a completely different path. And sure. I might, I might have had a bigger house or something, but, but the, <laughs> uh, the, I mean, the life, yeah, there, I mean, it, I live in constant awareness, a deep awareness of, I, I'm trying to find the right word because to say the privilege and the just the blessings that I live in um, and that I think a lot of us do, are they it just can't it's hard to compare like i the uh yeah there's just so many people running the rat race and really really not fulfilled not excited when they wake up i wake up in pain too man i, sure. I feel you and that doesn't at all dull the eager anticipation i have about each and every day i mean absolutely it's, it's rare that i wake up not looking forward to the day oh and yeah to me that's a barometer like that that's actually kind of the gauge I use for myself is that if, if more than a, one or two mornings like that occur where I'm not feeling that way, then I, I've got to step back and, and think a little bit, you know, because sure. that's, not, that's not the design that I want. So. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I, I've always, ever since I started skydiving and, and it became the focal point of my life, whether it be jumping or flying, I've always felt like I got away with something. If that makes sense. I always oh, felt like yeah. uh, I watched these people doing the nine to fives or more like eight to sevens nowadays and just working yeah, the living yeah. shit out of themselves so that they can drive their really nice car in heavy traffic to go home to do it all over again. It's not that I felt smarter than them. It's just that I felt like I found a path that uh, uh, they completely missed out on. And I've always just felt lucky. And you would know just as well as I, the opportunities that we've been given in the sport, whether it be just per jump or the travel around the world and the people that we've met. I mean, I see a picture of, I assume that's Nepal behind you. It looks like yeah, I'm yeah, Muslim. I'm the blog, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've trekked to Everest twice and been on the ground for the, uh, the Everest skydive expeditions and just sat there shaking my head going, who the hell gets to experience this? Who am yeah. I that I get to experience something like this? Yeah. Totally, totally. I, I live, I live in that awareness every day, and I have a, 
I have a brother, a younger brother. He's four years younger. He's, he's, he, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm going to say it and I don't, I don't, doesn't matter who hears it, but he's, he's, he's a heroin addict in the streets of Atlanta. Oh, wow. For five years, he's, he's abandoned his family, his, wow. his wife wow. and two, two boys who, who went through, became teenagers with him gone, you know, like really tragic. And it's not every, every parent loves their children. I mean, sure. deeply. And so it's not that it's the power of drugs of those kind of drugs that can, can really consume you, you know? And sure. the reason I, the reason I even mentioned that there, and I'm not trying to take us in that rabbit hole, but the, that combined with, you know, just seeing like you described so many people kind of trapped in the rat race and all these other factors. My dad died when I, when I just graduated college, mm. it all influences that, that deep desire to, to, uh, just to make, to take advantage of every second of every day. And Absolutely. And the gratefulness for the luckiness that I have. I, I love the word luck. I used to, I think I used to not use that word, but that really does describe there's a healthy dose of luck in all of this, you know. Oh, yeah. But but when when things land right for you, you also have to be in the right place and have have a have prepared yourself the right way, you know. So like a lot of the big lucky opportunities I have, I wouldn't have had them had I not prepared myself in various ways. So it's, sure, a, it's, sure. a, it's a combination, right, of factors. Sure. Well, I think luck can get you a lot of opportunities, but you've got to have the uh, drive and the ability to take advantage of that luck. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. uh, same same with me. And uh, to your point with your brother and such, I've had two guests on uh, it recently, actually, uh, Jay Maletsky and, and another friend of mine who were brought to skydiving through just a, a lack of desire to live anymore. Um, they, they were just done with it. And that one jump literally 180 the, the trajectory of their lives. Um, so it's amazing what those little things can do. And it's so sad when you see people that kind of miss that 180, that opportunity to take a turn in another direction. And it's heartbreaking. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, back on the skydiving, I want to talk about you, you. All of a sudden, you literally walk into a sport and just walk into sponsorship, and and you're already at it doing these amazing things. But the Shannon Pilcher that uh, I grew up with, and that must sound strange to you, <laughs> the, the Shannon Pilcher that I grew up with was just a canopy master along with names like Heath Richardson, who was like the God of nylon at the time. Yeah, man. I mean, he could do no wrong. I never saw him not do anything flawlessly under canopy. How did that come about? I mean, I don't know if you know this Dean, but we were, the PD factory team was a a four way FS team to start. I did not know so, that. So in 99, that, that's back to that, that power triangle I described and Ian mm. working at, at PD. We, we, we went to PD and we were here. We are, we're training like thousand jumps a year, four way into land, very, you know, a, a, an intermediate team. And then we, we were trying to secure a spot. We did secure a sponsorship with PD. And then at, in 2001, 2001 was our last year as a belly FS team. And Ian and I, we're, we're still, re- I mean, because two of the guys left, they, they had other things to do in life. And Bobo and I were like, we don't want to see this go. And we had just gone to a swoop meet out in California when you said like the pro tour was starting to happen. And we, it was the, at that time they had two way, two way speed going through two, you know, parallel lanes together. And Bobo and I had 
I mean, we had 10,000 jumps together. So we were tuned, man. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have to think to fly together. And we went up against Heath and Jay, who, who had just met each other there in Paris for this event and said, hey, let's partner up. <laughs> and they were, they were just so smooth and so good at what they did. And they won. They beat us. And I mean, I don't remember all the, the how it went down, you know, but Ian and I were just looking at each other like, we we want these guys, you know, and that that helped to trigger our awareness. Like PD makes parachutes, they're sponsoring a free fall team. Why don't we why don't we shift this to a canopy team? And talking with John and, and Bill at PD, they 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 were all about it, right? Let's let the PD factory team be a representative of, of what we make, of what sure. we build. So that's well, what we did. We invited Jay and Heath, and then I mean, overnight they they became teammates, and and it, and the PD Factory team took off. Well, pretty much from day one, PD Factory team became like the team to beat. Everybody knew PD Factory. You know, you knew the colors, um, you knew the canopies as soon as you looked up in the air, and you got to know the names very very quickly. Um, so it was, I mean pretty much right away you yeah. guys kind of set the standard for canopy piloting yeah it was a it was just a back to that timing thing right it's back to the right place right time kind of the luck that falls i mean and we were seizing like we ian and i we i mean and jay and then we're out there because we were all on the cusp of this new discipline that was taking shape so all of us were pioneers in a way all of us were innovators and and then so the the forming of the PD factory team was almost natural. It, it made sense to do this. We built the team. And so now and the light is shining on all these people who are who are leading, you know, who are ushering this new sport into into being. And so that, I think that just made it that just made it easy. Right. So like all the other sponsorships fell into place. The sponsors could, were watching it, too. Right. And they they wanted to get on board. It's funny, like as I as I look at all the. Like I've been really lucky also to be with kind of the same sponsors throughout, except for some small deviations. Like when we moved to Deland, we we UPT wasn't ready to sponsor this rookie group who knew who knew, not, knew nothing and had no reputation or anything. But so we Kyle worked at UPT, so we they let us go back in the loft in the closet and find the we found four old Vector twos. And they were already building Vector 3s at the time. We found four old Vector 2s. We worked with some of the riggers there, and we rebuilt them. We made them safe. And we had our whatever our personal rigs were and our Vector 2s so that we could do back-to-back -back training, you know? Sure, and sure. Then, and then soon after, they they all this other stuff we're talking about happened, and, and UPT got on board with us, and we had Vectors. So so for three or four years, we were Vector-supported, vector UPT-sponsored. And then all, very soon after we went to SunPath. So that's one switch we made. The other is we were uh, Larson and Briscard sponsorees. And and uh, and I'm still great friends with, with Stefan and those at, at, at L&B. Like we just spent the week with them out at PIA, you know. And anyway, it's back to that that small community that we're all a part of and, and the, the rivalry, but not the knockdown drag out competition right sure well i i mean it's it's uh that's one of the greatest things about and it's been said i think that almost every podcast i've done is the the best thing about skydiving is the community um yeah. the majority of the conversations that i have on the podcast are about the people that jump and very little about the actual jumps because the cool part's the people <laughs> you know yeah yeah 
It really that's is. Kind of, that's kind of life, I think. I really do. I think that's life, right? Absolutely. Well, it's it's uh, um, it was a, a very cool thing to discover relatively early in my career that no matter uh, how I performed as a jumper, as long as I performed well in the community, I had a spot in this amazing sport. You know, and and to to be a good member of the community, regardless of your status, whether you're up on the podiums or just chucking drogues, you still have a, a wonderful place in in an incredible group of people yeah for sure we go, go ahead good ahead, good ahead. i was just gonna well, i mean it's kind of ancillary really but we so we have a we i've been in deland forever 27 years and um and I've, i'm not jumping a lot now since 2019 end of 2019 so th- a little more than three years very little jumping i mean a couple dozen jumps a year or something and my wife also is not jumping a lot and she's quite an accomplished leader in our sport um but I, we're kind of we love it here because we're always thinking about going somewhere else. And I think what continues to draw us back here is that because it's the land, skydivers are constantly coming through from all over the world. And that means without going to the different events, without organizing on the boogie circuit or the coaching circuit, without going to nationals and world championships, we still see everybody. Yep. And our house, we do have a big house. And so and it's also it's actually one of the hardest things about our life, but the best is that we have a five-year-old daughter and we live we spent our summers in Israel and we, we got back September first last year. We we counted the other day. We've had like 10 days in our home as a three-person family since September first. It's been <laughs> one to five people living in our home for, for six months. You know, it's absolutely <laughs> crazy. And we love it. Like often we're sitting at dinner and we and we go. How many people are here? There's eight people. Ah, oh, and there's eight nationalities represented by these eight people. Isn't that great? So the, so the exposure that our daughter is getting is is phenomenal. I mean, that is it's one of the greatest values I have for her. You know. Oh yeah, no. I well, I learned that quite quickly because I was uh, I learned how and and was jumping for work uh, beginning in Las Vegas, and I would go out to Paris Valley all the time. Um, and just going between Vegas and Paris Valley, I met the whole world, you know, I yeah. mean, jumpers from absolutely everywhere. And now, you know, almost 29 years later, I don't think there's a country in the world that I can't find a couch to crash on, which totally. Totally. it's an amazing thing. It really is. And it's a testament to exactly, well, you know, how uh, accepting skydivers are. I had had yeah. uh, Maletsky on the podcast, um, I want to say about a month ago, and I want to say four or five days after uh, the interview, I got a message from him going, hey, uh, can I come crash with you? Because my tattoo <laughs> artist is in Helsinki. And I'm like, this is so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Awesome. Because I had just moved across the world to uh, uh, what I think of as a relatively obscure place. And all of a oh. sudden, I've got Jason Malevsky staying in my spare bedroom. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you I love it, man. I love it. And, and I have colleagues, you know, who aren't in the sport, like in, in this new world I'm into. And then we travel. I travel in a different way now. And we travel and, and like, and I'll often, or they'll call, like, we're in conversation. And one of them will tell me, you know, oh, I'm going to so-and-so. I'm going to this place next week. And I'm like, really? How long are you there? And they'll tell me, hey, do you want me to set you up with? And I'm not even, I'm, it's not a gesture. I'm, I'm completely straight with them. Like our community is so tight that I, I don't even have to know the person I'm setting you up with. Yeah. Like, like I'm willing to, to connect two people who don't know each other and the person's couch, I don't even know. I'm willing to offer that. I mean, that's how. Absolutely. That's how, 
tight our community is, you know, it's absolutely goes very, very deep. And <laughs> knowing that the person that you don't know that you're asking for a couch is absolutely going to say yes. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's so <laughs> nice. It really is. Now, before I forget, I wanted to ask Skydiving Magazine. Tell me about that. Uh, best ever, man. Like, I mean, I, it was Mike and Sue. Sue was his partner. Um, she was the editor. He he's just he did it all. You know, it's his baby. But um, what do I want to say? I want to say that um, I was the reporter. I went in as a reporter. I worked there for four years. That meant that I wrote 70% of the magazine for four years. And what I learned from Mike has, has carried me to this day. Like in the work that I do now, I do a lot of writing. I write assessment reports for, for coaching clients or for team clients. And mm -hmm. those, are, those are based on like interviews, tons of interview data that I collect and type out. And, and so I write these really meaningful reports for people and, and what I learned with Mike that I don't think I would learn in a lot of necessarily like these smaller culture magazines. Um, I learned unbiased, uh, rounded journalism. So, so like he, he would just make sure in a very lovingly challenging way to, am I getting all angles of this story? You know, sure. people often say there's two sides to every story. It's not true. There are multiple sides to every story. And, and so he would really push me to, to, to integrate the different perspectives. And that's the unbiased part is learning how to, to kind of keep your judgment out or, or if you do provide it, you know, you're being clear about this is your judgment in, in the, in the message. So it's, it's just, it's, uh, it's provided value for me for life. Sure. Well, yeah. I, and I think um, Laura and Cola with Blue Skies kind of took up the torch when Scott Having Magazine went away. Yes. Um, and I was lucky enough to be approached by Cola to write for them. Now, granted, all of my stuff was just opinion pieces. And and I, yeah. I, I'm not sugarcoating it to say that I basically wrote dick and fart jokes for 10 years. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was the I was the comic relief that was uh, strategically placed at the back of the magazine, kind of like a dirty little secret. Yeah. Um, but I had so much fun doing it, and uh, especially because it was them. Laura and Cola were were really outspoken about wanting to not shy away from the edgy stuff and not be the anti parachutist, but just go places that they couldn't go. Yeah. You know, yeah. parachutists having to be professional and upstanding, and they just wanted to be a bunch of you know dirty skydivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was it's a like, lot of fun, you know. It's, I mean, funny, I it's cool to hear you say that because I now that rings a bell. Now I know you. That, that adds more. Now I remember a lot of those articles. Yeah, no, so it totally, totally rings a bell. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm still the only person in Blue Sky's history as a columnist to get hate mail and and uh, uh, and awesome. and uh, good and bad mail. So I figured that both of them are successes. Yeah, yeah, right on. Well, that was kind of what segued into uh, the podcast doing well at all, because when I first started out, again, I'm just some random guy. Nobody knows me from Adam outside of the people that I've worked with, except that I wrote for Blue Skies for 10 years. So mm -hmm. my intro to almost every potential guest was, hi, this is Dean. I used to write for Blue Skies magazine. Okay. Um, that's what that's what got the whole thing started. So Yeah, yeah so. I got you in the door with people. Yeah. So now you, you segued from jumping into what you're doing now. Was that a conscious thing or did it just kind of happen over time? Yeah. Great question. Thanks for asking. I, I uh, so I, you probably know I had a, a massive accident in 2010 mm -hmm. in Switzerland. Um, 
to this day, man, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, <laughs> of course, in the moment, it's horrible. And of course, now I'm 13 years later, I'm really starting to uh, carry the the physical trauma. I'm really starting to, to, to feel it. Um, sure. And in some ways, I've been in denial a little bit. So I've, I'm just kind of accepting it now and, and learning to move the right way with it. Um, but in 2013, partially motivated by that, I, I was just like, in 2013, I was snow skiing. And I, we went and stayed with Jack Jeffries and Orla, his wife, my Sharon and I, my wife. We went stayed with them for a couple not, nights. And um, and he was telling me about a, a pro, his pro. He went to grad school at American University 15 years earlier. and went into this field of organization development is what it's called. And his focus was high performing leadership teams and the leaders on those teams. And so I started looking at all of his coursework and the stuff he did. And I went back and called the university and, and interviewed and got accepted. And Jack was, you know, influential in that. And I, and when the books arrived in my, it was a, you know, you go out there once a month to Washington DC, when the books arrived in my mailbox, I started opening this box and I started taking all these books and, and Dean, I was like, holy shit, this was made for me. This, this course was written for me. And I had no desire to get a job. Like, like I, flight one was in full, full gear. Life was great. I had been hurt. So I wasn't on the, I wasn't competing and all that stuff anymore. I was just trying to jump more, but I was working with flight one and things were good. And I just wanted to learn, man. And all this stuff spoke to my heart. It was, it was very human, people centric. It's about, you know, it's it's called change management is another word for it. And it's about really bringing the humans back to the workplace, like mm. uh, not leading by the bottom line, but but taking care of your people. And and so I went to school. I graduated in 2015 and then I was just back to skydiving. Like nothing changed. And Jack called me at the end of 2018. He said, I'm leaving my practice that I've been with for over a decade. I'm starting my own team. I need a teammate. And I was just like, I just had a baby, one year old. I was like, I'm all in. And, wow. and it, one thing led to another. I was, I was fast tracked, to be honest with you. Like Jack, just, you know, drinking water from a fire hose. He just, he, he mentored me in an accelerated pace to be self sufficient in the room with these, the most senior level executives of any corporation in the world. Yeah. And so, I mean, um, but, but I'm, I'm saying it to you and I, cause I know you know, but like, they're just people, man. Like they're, sure. they're like you and me. I mean, like we all, we all like to say, right. They've got their own problems, their own struggles, their own challenges, their own hopes and dreams, but they're, they're remarkable humans. And what I've learned, what the way my story has shifted is that I, I've, I've come to realize I had a, um, this unconscious judgment, like these elite executives are aloof better than everyone else. They just, have lots of money and that's it you know that but i've learned that they wouldn't be at the top of these global organizations if they didn't care about their people and sure. if they weren't if they weren't people to be admired themselves you know so so getting to work with these people is just it's like a, a it's the next phase of life that i never knew was coming oh, i'm sure well it's kind of funny that you say you know they're just people when it boils down to it. That lesson was taught to me so graphically through skydiving, uh, especially as a tandem instructor, when you get to see people at their most vulnerable at yeah. that moment when they have no choice but to be exactly who they are. And 
we all boil down to these these core things that human beings are and it's so wonderful to see people drop their guard and drop the bullshit even if just for a moment uh and i've been privileged enough to see that thousands of times and so that definitely changed my view of people in the way that i view them wherever they are whether it's the you know fortune 500 ceo guy because i know that guy takes his pants off one leg at a time and he has the same problems that i do even if he drives a nicer car and lives in a bigger place he's dealing with the same shit that i am yeah yeah. you know to some degree yes and you and so you and you interact with them differently too right It, it allows you to to yeah, to drop your guard when you're when you're interacting with them, you know, like sure, to not sure. be as intimidated or as as you know put off by who you think they are. Um, well, and they appreciate that, right? I mean, nobody oh, wants you to walk in there bowing down to them. They want somebody that's going to talk to them person to person. Yeah, and then 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 the fun really is just like just like all humans, we're all we all have our different personalities, and I've I've done a lot of that studying on that, you know, and like. So no matter who you are, wherever you are in the status, you know, strata, you're, you still have to break barriers. You still have to get people to open up, to soften up, to ease up in your presence, you know? Like sure. that. So that's, that's the fun just as being hu- two humans and connecting it in the initial phase. Oh, of yeah. That was in, in all the jumps that I ever did. If you ask me my favorite part about uh, skydiving became tandem skydives. And my favorite thing about tandems was playing that 30 second psychologist, having to figure out what's going to get this person motivated enough to trust me to step out of an airplane, 13,000 feet above the ground. Yeah. And then 20 minutes. (laughs) And and it's just wonderful puzzle. And it's so fun. And You can break a lot of people down into certain little boxes, but then every once in a while you get somebody that just does not fit the mold. And it is so much fun to try and figure out how do I get this person okay with what's happening? And it's so great. That's cool to hear you say that. Cause what if you can, I mean, maybe we've all even been here where you're, where you encounter that person and instead of saying, well, this is an awesome challenge. I'm going to figure this out it's also easy to just kind of quit and go, ah, shit, I don't don't know how to get through this guy. You know, even even complain or just kind of, ah, I'm done, done with this. But, but for the most part, if we can, if we can lean into it, it's usually going to be better. Right. Oh yeah. Well, I, I, and there's always exceptions to the rule, but uh, most of the time I've thought that every time I've seen a refusal for a skydive, it's because the instructor wasn't there for that person. Not always. Some people are just not going to jump. And I get that. But a lot of the times you'll look back and see this person just, they caught their instructor on a bad day. Their instructor didn't give a hundred percent. They weren't there to reassure. And because of them, that bad vibe rubbed off on the student and they went, Nope, this is not for me. And I've seen it, you know, I mean, I spent enough time sitting up front that I've descended with a fair amount of tandems on my plane going, Oh, that's just a bummer. Where did you, where did you do most of your tandems? If you had to guess? Um, I'd say I did the majority of them, uh, but split split between uh, Las Vegas and uh, cross keys. Um, No, what's drop zone in Las Vegas? Was that Scott of Las Vegas? Who, who ran that at the time? That was Michael Hawks when I started. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, back in the uh, the uh, Vic Papadato days. Okay, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, so back in, uh, I want to say I started doing tandems in 98. Yeah, so that was like the Sky Surf, the ESPN Sky Surf 
Yeah, yeah. This is uh, actually um, Vic. I took a camera slot at Skydive Las Vegas um, shortly after Vic passed, and it, when Vic passed, he was the reigning X Games champ. Yeah, for Sky Surf. Yeah, so it was back then. Um, yeah. But then uh, I did. I'd say the majority of my tandems I did in in uh, cross keys, and then I slowly from 06 transitioned into flying instead of chucking drogues. Oh man, just too damn hard on you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm envious of the piloting. I, I, I uh, one day will we'll give that feather under my belt. Yeah, <laughs> man. You know, I got lucky. Uh, um, you know how skydiving is. You you get to know people real quick, and by then I had enough uh, years in the sport that uh, you show up at a drop zone and and they realize you've got a pilot's license, and it's not too long till you're in the Cessna. And then uh, uh, Ray Farrell, that owns Skydance, put me in a the pack 750 and the rest was history as soon as you got turbine time and skydiving you're golden yeah right on yeah right it was on. good so tell me about the podcast how did all that come about <laughs> well it's it's been on hold for three or four years now man so i, I almost i'm glad you asked because i would love to make a public statement but um but I'm, i hate that it's been on hold like the reason it's been a hold I'm, I'm very comfortable with i basically at the same i just started i I think I did 13 episodes and yep. Jack called me and, and offered me what I told you earlier, said, Hey, I'm, I need somebody. And I, I was all in, man. I mean, literally all in. And it became for three years, uh, even three or four years, it became, I mean, I have, I really uh, value balance in my life. And so I say this, it's all relative, but I, I just became like a nine to five or I was working hard for three years all knowing that I was trying to build my capabilities so that I wouldn't have to work nine to five. Sure. Um, but, but that just, it meant I had to choose to, to postpone choices, which was my podcast. Right. So, yeah, so that's postponed. The good news is, and what I would like to say publicly is that I'm, I have full intention to, to kick it off again. And I, I can't even put a date on it yet because I'm still, I'm not drinking water from a fire hose anymore, but, um, business is just great and I, I need to to wait till I have a lull and or I, yeah I need to strategize a little bit have how sure. to integrate it back into this current lifestyle well I know that the podcast was met with a lot of popularity pretty much out the gate people wanted to hear what you had to say but what was the motivation but decide uh behind trying to start it up well and that's right that's why I still want to keep it going right is that the is because the motivation is I'm not I'm not really able to help my brother directly in many ways mm. who, who I mentioned about earlier and and it's not just my brother he's he's just the figurehead of, of so many people I believe who are who are just let me say it this way I believe that that we bear the consequences of our choices for a lot longer than we real sometimes realize and, sure. and big and small I mean like if you study the decisions we make, the, we make thousands of decisions every day. Many of them, most of them unconscious, most of them insignificant. They just help us navigate our, our day. Um, but even those small insignificant choices can really send ripples into our lives. They become the pattern. They become our identity, who we are, who knows us. And then, of course, the big choices, a lot of those have, have long-term consequences as well. So I'm Back to where you start, what you said earlier, you know, how we were talking about how we're just surrounded by these amazing people. Um, and I mentioned the dinner parties that we have. And that's even when I'm traveling, right? You know how it is. You're on the road in, in our community. And I mean, just 
it's not not an exaggeration to say two, three, four times a week. I'm with a group of friends who are from all over the world. And we're not talking about we're all over the world. We're all we're friends. Like we're genuinely friends. And 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 I've always wanted to be a fly on the wall to that. And and because I believe that's a big reason that I make the choices I do. And mm. so I, I just my life has been this fairy tale. It continues to be that I'm surrounded by people who I never imagined I would be. And I just want to help. The purpose of the podcast is to help people, especially younger people, be more intentional about the choices that they make. Sure. Well, you know, I mean, it's 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 uh, I think you're right that you make choices every day without knowing what their effect is going to be. And you don't know that you just made a pivotal choice until you're down the road looking back going, shit, that's where I turned left when I should have turned right. You know, yeah. it's, it's everything's 2020 in hindsight. And, and uh, those teeny little choices can have these enormous effects. And they it, really can. Yeah. And it, and it, you know, like to take it even a little notch deeper too, with my motivation is, and you help me think of it is like, like there's kind of a Western recipe for success. You know, it's like go to high school, good, good grades, go to college, graduate, good grades, get a job, get married, house, car, wife, happily ever after, house, car, children, happily ever after. And, and, and I'm like, I'm, I'm now, especially as I've jumped into this, this corporate career, um, I reckon there are many people who follow that recipe and are, and are doing wonderfully. And many of those who are doing wonderfully, if you peel back those layers, man, there's frustration, there's there's discontentment, there's envy, like just boiling with envy and regret and things like that. And 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 then and there are certain, like you said, not even exceptions. There are many people who follow that path who aren't living all of that that I just described. They have they they have a wonderful life, and it's to be envied itself, right? But sure. But I believe there's just a large majority of people who who go down that route and five or ten years in, they are trapped. Man, sure, it, it sure. is a it is a it is almost impossible to get out, you know, because because when you're married and you have children, man, they are the first priorities in your life, no matter what you think. Then when when that happens, you're gonna do everything you can to to take care of them and make sure, sure that they're sure. they're living a good life, you know. So well, that is that is the trap. Well, and I'm sure you you've heard the same thing that I have throughout my skydiving career is you'd have people that were traditionally successful that uh, are telling you how lucky you are. Yeah, uh, that, that's all the time, right? All the time. All the time. So you you kind of lived this fairy tale life where you've naturally found your way into something that they thought about. 365 days a year, seven days a week, went to sleep daydreaming about, you know, every single day and you took your own path and yeah. got to this path. So now I would imagine for you, it feels much more like a choice instead of this path that you were aimed on. Uh, the yeah. thing that I've discovered with skydiving is that I've learned how to redefine what I consider success, yeah. um, which is a huge thing. And most people oh, have yeah. this cookie cutter version of what they think success in life is, and they never bother to try and define it for themselves. Um, but if you define your own version of success, you're a lot happier than you would be if you're trying to go after someone else's version. Yeah, totally. Which is a we, nice we, thing. We constantly compare ourselves and we can't, we don't mean to, we don't want, I mean, we, we just do it, right? It's a non-stop. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So, and, I, I, 
Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say pe- people are going to compare no matter what. Goodness knows right. I do it all the time. But uh, I, I think it's it's uh, uh, you can compare and, and you can look at somebody and go, oh, that, that would be cool. But it's one thing to think someone else is doing well and another thing to wish you were them. Yeah. And, you know, let, Dean, this might be a good chance. I, and I didn't even think about this till now, but. But because of where where I'm currently sitting in the 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 juxtaposition that I'm I'm now looking at skydiving from an outside view and and still have one foot in that in that bucket, you know, um, I, it's become also become. I want to speak to the other side now. I, I I would like to. I don't even know what like challenge people or invite people who are full time skydivers out there, twenty years old, thirty years old, whatever. Keep doing what you're doing, but but and maybe maybe parallel to that, you can think a little bit more about your future self because what I'm seeing right now hurts me. It hurts my heart, and because I was very lucky to to make this jump to a different track, it hurts me. I'm talking about people who are close to me, and I I know you can relate. You know, like who at 40, 45, 50, 60 years old. They're still, they still right now to, in their perspective, have no choice but to keep throwing drugs or yep. no choice but to keep canopy coaching or whatever it might be. And, it, and it's not an easy path. It's, and it's actually, it gets quite gloomy. It gets quite uh, uh, uninspiring for them to think about what am I going to do for this, this last phase of life? You know, yep. how am I going to, how am I going to navigate life? Many of them have family and kids too. So they too are trapped in needing to put food on the table, but but realizing that this fulfillment only goes so far, you know? So, oh, so yeah. I don't have the answers to people except to say, if you're 20 and 30 and you're just loving this life, because it is a great one, you know, maybe you can take a 5% of your, your brain space and start start strategizing about a future self. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I mean, there's a there's a big difference between the community theater and Hollywood, so to speak. Uh, lots of <laughs> exactly. lots of people can act in community theater, but only a very few make it to Hollywood, and it's the same thing, you know. I mean, uh, um, just like you said, I've got friends that are still chucking drugs, and you know, I mean, they're fighting physical ailments all the time, much more so than I am, and yeah, and yeah. I wake up sore, and I haven't chucked a drug in years, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, I mean, there's no retirement home for skydivers. You got to make your own way. So that's great advice, especially to the younger jumpers is eventually the machine you're using to, you know, get through this way of life is going to start breaking down and you're going to want a slightly easier path. Be a fun jumper like Lou Sanborn until you're in your fucking eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But doing the yeah. meat hauling and, and the yeah, yeah. hard work, man. Yeah. So, and and, you know, just I'm saying too, I think what we're saying right now, like, I want it to get through to people's head. Like, I, because I'm thinking about there's people, there's a big event happening to land right now, and and half the people out there are 20 and 30 years old, and they're, they're, they're freaking good at what they do, man. They're, they're awesome and they love it. And it's, it's all they care about right now. And I don't, I don't want that to change. Even by saying what we've said, I don't want that, I don't want that to ruin their little, their place and time. And I also think that many of them hearing this, just like me at 20 and 30, we hear it, but we don't 
really hear it, man. It's like, sure. yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll cross that bridge when I get there. You know? sure. <laughs> it's almost like I want them to hear. How can you hear it without, how can you take it seriously without it sinking your ship, you know? <laughs> sure. Well, I think uh, for a lot of people, me, the first time that I was on the ground for an injury is when you start thinking, oh, it, it wouldn't really take much to end this career um, accidentally. So I was lucky in that I had a few minor injuries that made me stop and think I should probably have a plan B as well. Didn't keep me from going hardcore on plan A, but it just meant that I started to be prepared. For me, that was learning how to fly while I was still jumping my ass off. Exactly. You know, something little. Okay, so as we as we kind of wrap things up, uh, keeping on the the uh, uh, the topic that we were just on, uh, a lot of the time I like to ask guests what their advice is to uh, jumpers that are just getting in the sport, uh, thinking about a long future ahead, and people that might be towards the backside of their sport and and trying to decide uh, uh, either how to transition out of the sport or how to step back and and make it a more casual thing. What advice do you have to them? <laughs> For those only listening, I'm I'm shaking my head at the the, the <laughs> difficult question. Um, I mean, I'll start by saying that you know, like a lot of us, probably I don't I don't like to give advice because I feel like we're all on a different track, a different journey, right? Um, so I'll, I think of it more as you know what what yeah. I mean, anyway, um, I think for the new jumper, what I often think about is and that there are. To me, as I look back, and there are two critical paths in skydiving. If, if skydiving, I think you're right, you know, somebody's really loving this and they want to get into it and, and pursue skydiving. I feel like I was lucky enough to take the, the, the competitor path. And nowadays it, it, in, it encompasses more than competition. Now it's organizers and coaches and the boogie circuit, you know, the angle flying uh, popularity that is upon us. Um, there's that path where where a jumper fulfills his or her own passions. And through that, through those aspirations and, and achievements, is able to bring that to the, the rest of the skydiving world. That's one path. The other big path is more through the instructor path, whether it's AFF, static line, tandems. And and through that, like through through pursuit of fulfillment and that and, and getting better and learning and growing, also able to bring that to the skydiving world. I think people can think carefully about those two paths and be intentional about the one they're choosing. And then mm. you can do both also. So it's not an either or, you know, it can be a both and. Um, my, my, the reason I say it, though, is that there's a watch out there. I, I, I really believe, and, and no disrespect for people on the instructor path, and I really believe that it's on that path that many more people reach burnout and, and lose, lose the love of the sport. Mm. Because it, it lacks the variety, quite quite simple. At the headline level, it, it lacks the variety. And the variety is in your customers, right? And the variety is in the different crazy and zany things they might do or the psychology that you shine a light on, which which is one wonderful way to keep it 
you know, variable and to keep it engaging and fulfilling. However, I just think people should think carefully about those two paths and that that'll help them set sail on the right course. Sure. Sure. Now, what about those people that are, are towards the backside of their career? Yeah. I mean, I don't really know, man. I, I think, um, I, one of the things we've already talked about, you know, just parallel to your, to your journey, thinking, thinking about future self and, and, and maybe building some other non-skydiving capabilities and, and, and accomplishments or achievements there, you know, or, or education and learning, um, or maybe just carrying it as a lens throughout. And, and I, you know, I'm in a place now where I'm in, I'm kind of retiring. I have retired as a professional skydiver and, and I'm also, uh, just learning that like the, the hard part for me has been to learn that I can participate. This is going to sound funny, but I want to back it up. I can participate without being the best. And sure. what I mean by that is I can have full, I, I've had, I'm still learning how to enjoy skydiving without feeling like on any given jump or with any given group of people, somehow I have to step in and be the best. Sure. And that it's, it's, first of all, it's completely unrealistic. It's, I mean, it's ridiculous. I I do everything I do in jumping. Now I'm not even close to one of the best in in the groups that I'm in, you know, there's so many things going on. And so I don't really have advice except think about your future self, earlier rather than later and that's in life as much as it is in skydiving right sure well i remember uh basically getting a a face-to-face uh graphic representation of that with an ad that was in parachutist many many years ago and you might even remember the ad it was a picture of a jumper out of cross keys named jason aubin and it was the announcement for the season opener of skydive cross keys and it was him with the most outrageous uh tan line from goggles from skiing uh and i remember looking at that thinking a that's just fantastic marketing and b people do stuff other than skydive holy shit (laughs) skydivers don't just always jump and it was just such a i'll never forget that picture because it, it said a million things hey skydiving is back but this guy just spent an entire winter clearly loving the shit out of something that didn't involve you know jet fuel and nylon uh which i thought was really really cool yeah super cool yeah man shannon I'll tell you what, man, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to sit down with me. I'll tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to be waiting for the podcast to start up again. Um, I, I think, oh, cool. you. I yeah. think you've got a lot of inspiring stuff that you can aim towards people. And uh, I'm really interested to to hear more from you. So honestly, thank you for taking the time this morning. Thank you Dean, for reaching out. And, and it's a pleasure talking with you, man. It's, you got a, you got a good mind and a good heart. I appreciate it. You do too, man. Yeah. Take care. Yeah, Take care. Bye-bye. And there you have it, another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void brought to you as always by, and say it with me, fuck yeah, NZ Aerosports. Head to nzaerosports.com. By Pussfoot. That's right, head to pussfoot.com, the extreme sports collective, and check out everything they've got to offer. By SummitParachuteSystems.com. Jarrett Martin and the family cranking out amazing pilot rigs, as well as incredible rigging courses. And now joining the Lunatic team, it's the one and only Tony Suits. You know them, you love them. Head to TonySuit.com. Check out all the amazing standards, as well as the new incredible signature line they've got going on. And as for us, the Lunatic Fringe is now 
now on YouTube. That's right, you're going to have the chance to put faces to the audio by heading to YouTube.com and looking up the Lunatic Fringe podcast. It's easy. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, check out all the amazing videos from the previous guests that we've had, as well as new and upcoming interviews on video. As always, I am the fucking pilot. Head to thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com. Thanks for joining. We'll see you next time around.